If you have your Bibles for a few moments tonight, I want to direct you to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is one of those passages of Scripture that when I go to it and read it, it is very awakening, very sobering. Um, because it is filled with warnings and admonitions about my liberties and my blessings. And uh, so if you will, let's read beginning with verse number 1, chapter 10. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, said, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. I don't want you unaware of what happened. I would not have you be ignorant how that all our fathers, everybody say all, all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be you idolatrous or idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people eat or the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ. The word tempt there, very similar to the word he uses later, which actually means test. So they were testing him as some of them also tested him. And were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur you as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And again, he stops and reiterates the reason for this history lesson. Now all, everybody say all, all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our 
admonition or our instruction upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. He, he, he qualifies what he has just said to make sure they understand that this is not some isolated incident that happened to a bunch of renegades hundreds of years ago. But these tests that they went through, there's no test that any of us go through that's any different than they were tested. They were tested. We are tested. Scripture is very clear that the reason God took them the direction he took them was to test them, to see they would trust him and, and follow him. And so he says to us, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted or tested above all that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way. And the indication in the Greek is he will always make a way. God will always make a way. Say that with me. He will always make a way. He will always make a way, not of escape, because that's our mentality. We want God to take it out, take us out of it. We want Him to extract us from. We don't want to have to go through it. We don't want this flesh dealt with. So we want God to help take it away from us. But He said, I will make a way to escape. Amen. That you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. I want to talk to you for a little a bit tonight about the temptation of our blessings. The temptation. Of our blessings. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When you read the book of Corinthians. It is very evident that Paul. Was dealing with. A deep rooted spiritual problem. In the Corinthian church. And it seemed to surface. At times. In the manifestation of their carnality. And uh, the Corinthian church was rife with many spiritual ills. There was immorality and there were other issues that had gone on within the church and Paul had the right to deal with that. But it seems that at the root, the root of the problem with the Corinthians was a spirit of arrogance and even entitlement that because of who they were, uh, they were exempt 
And uh, they were let off the hook of responsibility. And so they acted in a cavalier and very careless and casual way with the things of God. And in the previous chapter, chapter 9, Paul is dealing with the issue of them eating meat that had been offered to idols. And they knew it was offered, but they ate of it out of a mentality and an attitude that viewed themselves in this manner. We've been baptized. We're therefore one with Christ. And we've also participated in the sacraments, in the in the communion, and so we are in him, and he is in us, and therefore we are safe. Whatever we do is covered by his grace, and we can eat this meat without suffering any harm. And so Paul writes to deal with them about this overconfidence, this attitude of entitlement that had come because obviously the Corinthian church at one time had been extremely blessed and they were perhaps a wealthier region of the world. And so there were many benefits that had flowed into their lives and blessing that had come to them. And instead of them being thankful and appreciative of those blessings, they grew to feel like they were entitled to certain things and that God, because of his blessings on them, exempted them from the rules that applied to other people. And so they did some of the things that they did. And so Paul deals with this attitude of overconfidence and he refers them back to their history for a lesson. You need to learn something about what your forefathers have gone through and what they suffered and what happened to them. And so he goes through this lengthy uh, recitation of their history and He said, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. I don't want you to miss what happened to them because uh, you're, you're very close to what they were and where they were. And so he takes them back to the wayfaring days of Israel in their wilderness journey. And he begins to enumerate the the many multitudes of blessings that came to Israel. They were blessed far more than any of us could even comprehend. During this period of time, some of the most wonderful things happened to them. The most miraculous things happened to them. And he talks about them. The cloud that showed them the way and that protected them from their enemy, that prevented the Egyptians from coming nigh to them, and gave them the privilege of passing through the Red Sea that, by the way, he had parted 
and dried up the ground so they could go across without any trouble. And then when the Egyptians tried that, they were drowned in the sea. And so God brought you through this Red Sea experience and nobody lost their lives. Nobody had to work to make it happen. I just blessed you with that miraculous intervention and then I provided you with food and I gave you manna and, and provisions in the wilderness and I, I gave you a rock from which you could drink water and the scripture says that rock followed them. The rabbinic tradition was that when Moses smote the rock in the beginning, that that rock never left their presence. It went with them. I don't know that I fully understand all of that, but the scripture said that that rock followed them. There was evidence of God's provision around them at all times. They were surrounded by a cloud. They were covered by a pillar of fire at night. They had their own furnace and they had their own warming apparatus because the desert nights could get cold. And God provided them with all of the things they needed to help get them out of Egyptian bondage and into his promised land. And they were privileged to have all of these miracles happen to them. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't go threadbare. And uh, they never lacked for anything. And yet, in spite of all of these blessings that fell to their lot, and all of the blessing that they had experienced, and you think about this, church. How many of you have ever experienced a Red Sea party? And then the next thing you find is manna everywhere. You don't even have to go look for it. It falls in the camp. It came right to their door. And, and then quail and all of these other provisions that God made for them and the water that, that came from the rock. I'm, I mean, I've, I've talked to some people in my spiritual journey that have had a supernatural event happen to them, but I, I don't know that I've ever talked to anybody that's had this many supernatural Sovereign works done in their midst that they were participants in. And yet in spite of all of those blessings, they failed miserably. They failed completely. They were terrified to go into the promised land because they were frightened by a negative report by ten men. And God's judgment came on them when Moses was on the mountain receiving the law. They seduced Aaron into making them a golden calf so they could worship. And then they were guilty of fornication with the Midianites and the Moabites for which they had been prohibited of having any relationship with. And they were wasted with serpents because they grumbled and they complained on the way. And Korah and two others were were part of leading a grumbling group of people that revolted and many of them died in the ensuing judgment they they all of all of this happened to people that were blessed extremely blessed and when i got to looking at that i i started thinking about 
What are the temptations of the blessed? You think, well, if I'm blessed, I don't have any temptations. You're wrong. As a matter of fact, I I hope I don't discourage you from wanting to be blessed. But there are more temptations and tests to the blessed than they are for those that are not blessed. Amen. God's going to find out how we use what he provides for us. He's going to find out what we do with what he gives us and how we act and how we treat others out of his beneficent spirit, how we react and respond to others. And, and so Paul takes a moment to give them a lesson and, and remind them that we are blessed of God. But our blessings from God do not exempt us from responsibility and they do not exempt us from accountability with God. And he teaches us that the blessings of God do not mean that we are exempt from testing. But the opposite of that is true, that the more I am blessed the more I am going to be tempted in certain areas. And he enumerates the areas in which Israel was tested. And I want to go through and look at them and try to draw a spiritual analogy to our present circumstance. But the fact is that though we are blessed, we are not without vulnerability. Special privileges from God do not guarantee my spiritual security. There is, in fact, an open test that's going to follow the blessings of God to see what I do with what God gives me. And so we begin to read through what Paul said again, and we note the temptations and the failures that Paul singled out. And he's talked about these specific things for the reason, as he said, now these things have happened to them for our example. We, we need to learn something from them. What, what were those areas in which they were tempted? And the first one that he mentions is that there was the temptation to let other things become more important than him. He talks about it as idolatry. They fell in idolatry, and idolatry is nothing more than misplaced desire. It is letting my heart go in the wrong direction. And a person who is blessed, if they are not careful can get to the place that they worship their blessings. And they think more of their blessings than they do of the one who blessed them. And they talk about them more than they talk about the one who blessed them. I got very convicted when I started thinking about this because I was reminded of a time when David was judged by God because he had numbered Israel. 
And you would think, well, God, why would you be so harsh if all he wanted to know was just how strong is my army going to be? But God saw beyond. It was not just a numbering. God saw David's heart. He knew he was a man after his heart. So evidently he saw his heart and he saw what was behind that numbering of Israel wasn't just to know how strong we are It was to build up ourselves as if we had done something. And I've thought about the many times that somebody asks you, how many do you have in your church and you want to give them? and, And then my heart smote me and I thought, you know what, God, this is not about how many people come to our church. This is about how many people we can get looking in your direction and serving you and doing your will. That's what really matters. The numbers are taking care of themselves. I don't need to get lost in the counting. God's doing a better job of counting than I am. What I need to do is still count on him. God, you said you would add to the church daily such as should be saved. And so I want to make sure that I keep the worship of my life focused on the right thing and that's not my success I know none of you ever deal with pride but every once in a while it flares up in my life and when you get to looking around it at what 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 you have or what you what what you can do and and there's this this feeling, I can't even describe it with words, but you know what I'm talking about. It's just, just like. That's what happened to Israel. That's what their blessings produced. They let their eyes be taken off the one who blessed them and they got consumed with their blessing. Man, I can do this. I can do that. I got, I can buy this. I can buy that. I drive this. I, I wear this. I go there. I, I, I vacation here. I, I, I school there. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but that's not where my focus needs to be. My focus needs to be on the one who gave me that. And gave me the opportunity that. And what happens is there is this subtle shift to where we begin to turn our spiritual experience into a circus. And he talks about them. They, they, they had an idol. They were worshiping and then they were dancing and partying all at the same time. So the temptation of blessing is to come to the place that you feel like I did this. Look what I have. Look what I possess. Look where I am. Look who I am. Look at who I am. Our worship must never be taken off of the one thing that it always needs to be about, and that's him. And you know what? There's not a person in this building that is not vulnerable to worshiping things and not him. Amen. Paul spoke of their idolatry and, and it's simply a misplacing our, of our desire and our cravings. And so ultimately the temptations that we struggle with and the tests that we face when we are blessed has to do with our heart. What's on the inside of us, the part of us that nobody can see, the motive area. 
the area that drives us, that makes us who we are. It becomes a heart issue. And what Paul is trying to say to the Corinthians and what he spoke to me when I began to look at this passage again is that you better make sure you keep your heart right with him at all times because your heart is desperately wicked. Your heart will deceive you. Your heart will make you think you did this or your heart will get you to worshiping what you have rather than the one who gave you what you have. And it's a subtle shift. You don't even realize it's happened. You begin to worship a building that you're in or you worship a car that you drive or you worship the house that you live in or you worship the job that you have and you forget the one who gave that job and and instead of saying man I want to thank you God for this wonderful opportunity I have we say look what I've got look what I can do look who I get to rub shoulders with look what I make amen all right just put that in your back pocket you may not be tempted with it now, but somewhere along life's journey, your blessings are going to test what's in your heart. Your blessings are going to test where your heart is. Amen. Amen. He said, what did he say about the treasure? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. So it, really is a heart issue. Israel had a heart problem. And the heart was just not focused on the thing that it needed to be focused on. And it happens so subtly, you don't even realize the shift that takes place. But every once in a while, I feel it rising up in me. And when I do, I know it's time to go to prayer. Amen. I need to take that club out and beat that man back into subjection and say, no, sir. You know, you, you didn't do this. This isn't the work of your hand. This isn't your skill. This isn't your knowledge. This isn't your wisdom. This is just the grace of God smiling on your ignorance and blessing you in spite of yourself. That's where I want to keep the focus of my attention. That when the blessings come, and they're coming, and I enjoy those blessings, and I don't want God to stop blessing us, but I don't ever want us to look around at ourselves and say, look where we have come. Look what we have done. No, ma'am, we got to keep our eyes focused on him because he's the one that gives it all. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And so every morning when I wake up and go to my job, I need to say, thank you, God, that I've got a job to go to. Every time I wake up in my house and look around at what God has helped provide in my life, I need to say, thank you, God, for what you have given to me. Because if it had not been for the Lord on my side, Amen. I want to make sure my heart stays in the right place. I want to make sure my heart stays focused on the right stuff. I want it attracted to the right things. I I know that lust and covetousness, those are words that seem kind of harsh. But it's amazing how a desire can morph into a lust. Just a desire. That's just wanting something but how it can morph overnight into covetousness. You know, it's a wonderful thing. You, you, you go buy a new car, and before you buy it, 
you you don't see any of them on the highway. You think, man, this is the only one. I'll be the I'll be the only one styling in my new car. And as soon as you drive off the car parking lot, look around. There's a hundred of them, just like your same color, got more bling on it than yours has. And when you look close enough, they got more stuff on it than you got. And what happens? It's dirty old car. <laughs> Say it's not so. Yeah. What is the problem? The problem is a heart problem. The problem is not a new car. The problem is what's on the inside that nobody can see. And I have to make sure that I keep my heart in check because my heart is deceiving. My heart will trick me. My heart will will, will tell me things that that it's okay. It's, that's all right to feel that way. That's what, that's what was wrong with the Corinthian church. They were of the opinion that even though God's word said not to do it, well, we've got the Holy Ghost. We're blessed. That kind of gives us liberties with God. And so their heart got in the wrong place and it got on the wrong thing. And that's a, that, that's a worry for me. In, in times when God, we are extremely blessed, God, make sure my heart stays right. I want a clean heart, first of all. I want a right spirit at all times. I want an humble heart. I want a broken and a contrite heart. Because the Bible said he will in no wise cast out that kind of person. I don't ever want to be on the outs with God. And so I want to make sure that my heart never gets to the place that it feels like I've got to have it my way. My way is a dangerous way. I want it God's way. I want the things God has prepared. And if God wants to pour on more blessings, God pour it on. But help me during all of that to make sure that my heart stays on the right thing. The second thing that Paul talked to them about was the temptation to their flesh. He talked about fornication. They had become involved sexually with people that they should not have had any kind of relationship with, and they broke a barrier, but it was more than that. There's that temptation. When we are blessed to give in to the lower part of life, the lower man, there is... The spiritual man and there is the carnal man. And if I'm not careful, when God begins to bless me, there is a tendency for me to relax my, my, my code of operation, my code of ethics. And, and if I'm not careful, I can begin to operate from that lower self. You know, I know that God had to do a lot of work to get me where I am, but nobody else might know that. And so I take advantage of that and I lord over somebody else as if I deserve to be where I am and you deserve to be doing what you're doing. And the truth is, I am giving in to that lower side and we all have one. I don't think any of you figured out a way to kill it yet. It shows up every once in a while. It does in a temper tantrum or an anger outburst or selfishness or self-centered activities. There is a lower side of all of us. 
And if we're not careful when we are blessed, that's when that lower self seems to surface. You know, it's a strange thing, but Rice University did a study many years ago. I wish my brother was here right now. He could, he, he could verify the statistic, but I vaguely remember they did a study of, of spirit filled people, spirit filled young people. And one of the startling revelations of their study was that the highest level of sexual immorality in their life took place after a good Sunday night church service. That's amazing. That you would think that after a great hallelujah praying through, everybody talked in tongues, everybody shouted, that they would be on, they would be invulnerable, but it was then that they were the weakest. And you hear me tonight, church. When I am blessed the most is when I usually have to deal with that lower side of myself the most. Desires that surface. Hungers that you thought were long dead. They resurface. They show themselves. And I need to make sure that I, I don't give in to that lower self. It cannot be trusted. I know, I know, I know, I know you think I'm a little bit off sometime, but I'm here to tell you, I love all of you. I love you to the moon and back. I love you to eternity, but I'm telling you, I don't trust my flesh and I don't trust your flesh either. And none of us should ever trust our flesh because it is weak. But I'm going to tell you when your flesh is going to show itself the most is when you are blessed the most. Amen. Because you're not looking for it. And it just kind of slips up on you. And you let this moral down or you let this standard down or you let this thing down or you and and you you lower yourself. The high principles that got you where you are, we begin to compromise them. I've seen it happen over and over with people, especially in the political realm. I've been reading a lot over the last couple of years about our early history. And it's amazing that the political system that we're seeing played out right now, it's nothing new. Absolutely nothing is new about it. Everything we're seeing right now happened during George Washington's tenure. It happened during Jefferson's tenure. It happened during John Quincy Adams' tenure. All of the hatred and all of the strife, political organizations tend to create that. Anything that is built around man tends to engender that. But none of it is new. But this is what I have discovered in my study. That the things that I needed forgiveness for to get to where I am, when I get to where I am, sometimes I'm not very forgiving to the people that are trying to get where I am. I'm not very merciful to the ones that are still struggling behind me. And I have to be careful because my flesh cannot be trusted. I read the story one time of uh, an area that flooded and the animals were trying to escape and there was a serpent 
a poisonous serpent that was down by the water's edge and the waters were just tumbling and and, and he, he was trying to decide whether he was going to swim across and he, he knew he, he probably didn't have the strength because the current. So there was this large bear that came along and the bear started into the water and the snake said, oh, sir, would you mind, if, if, would, would you allow me to ride with you? And I, I don't think I can fight the currents, but you're strong and powerful. And the old bear said, well, sure, crawl on my back. And so about halfway across the river, the nature of that old snake revealed itself and he just reared back and buried its fangs in the neck of that old bear. And that bear struggling, trying to stay afloat under the intoxicating poison of the, the venom. And, and, and he says to the snake, well, why, why did you do that to me? Why? I let you ride on my back. He said, yeah, but you knew what I was when you let me get on. You better be careful what you let get on in your life. Amen. We better make sure that we guard the door. Because he is very subtle and he is very cunning. And there's time that he slips in and we don't even realize who it is at first. And we... we we find out that our flesh isn't as, I mean, our spirit isn't as strong as we thought it was. And so the flesh began to show itself and gratifying the flesh and indulging the flesh. You know, it's amazing. Somebody asked uh, some wealthy, wealthy person, how much money did it take to be, to, to be satisfied? And this was a, a multi-billionaire, and their comment was, I don't know. I mean, a billionaire, you would think he would have some kind of idea of how much money do you have to have to be happy. He said, I don't know. And that's the truth about all people. All of us deal with the same kind of humanity. There is this indulging. And the more we indulge that flesh, the more it wants. It's never satisfied. It's like the horse leech that says more, more. I've got to have more. And so one of the temptations of blessing is that we would, we, we would give in to that lower self and 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 not live up to the higher standards that God would desire out of us. The third thing that he mentioned was that they began to play on the mercies of God. They they actually tested God. I mean, God's sending them through the wilderness to test them, but they wound up testing God. And I thought, God, how could they test you? How could they push you to the limit? How do you push God to the place that he's, he's ready to, to, to do judgment? If you go back and look at this story, there are two basic things. There may be more, but there are two basic things that surfaced in my mind. One of them was unbelief. Unbelief. That when God brought them to the brink of the promised land, they could not believe what he was saying because they were hearing what those ten spies were saying. And the ten spies were so overwhelmed in fear, they couldn't believe that. Now, now, it doesn't make any sense that a God that could get them out of Egypt, 
with all the gold of Egypt. I mean, they had all the silver, all the gold, jewelry, everything. All the wealth of Egypt was in their possession. God did that for them. God gave them the favor to so they can get all that. And they leave Egypt with all of that wealth. And God provides a way through the Red Sea. He gives them a cloud and a pillar of fire. He gives them water. He gives them manna. And yet here they are at the brink of a promised land and they're scared away by giants. Now you tell me, how do you make that make sense? You can't. And so they, 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 they push God to the limit and unbelief does that. I mean, when you look around at all God's done, I mean, the hardest thing God's already done. I mean, how many of you can even comprehend? Let there be is all that it took for all of the Milky Way, the billions of stars that are and all the other galaxies that are out there and all the planets to find their place and all of the orbits to get in the right synchronization so that they have not deviated from their path all of these hundreds and hundreds of years and then say, let there be and Trees and flowers and deer and rabbits and squirrels and fish and and all of these butterflies and all of the birds of the air, all of them. God has already done the hardest thing that can be done. And yet when we come to a problem in our life, we tell everybody about it but him. That, that, that pushed God to the limit. Another thing that tested him was their their lack of obedience. Their simple lack of obedience. They 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 just had a hard time saying yes, God. Whatever you want, God. They wanted it their way. And they had to have it their way. And so much was focused on what God could do for them. And so little on what they were to do for God. And basically what Israel began to do is they tried to get God to serve them rather than them serve God. Now you listen. I'm not off when I say this. When we are blessed, it's not hard to get to the place where when we talk to God, we talk to God like, okay, now God, you owe this to me. You, you owe this. I, I mean, I've been faithful. I hadn't missed in, in, in I, I come to church every service. I, I give, I faith, I do. Now, God, you owe this to me. And the truth is, I owe it to Him. Amen. I really do. And if I will keep it in that attitude, God will keep pouring more on. But I need to be careful that I don't Play on the mercies of God. You know what? They, they thought, well, God will forgive. It'll be all right. I can pray through. <laughs> you know, it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. You heard that one? Yeah. That's the temptation of the blessed. Amen. And then the fourth thing is, oh, I don't even really want to go here. They were tempted to grumble. 
grumble. They found fault with manna. They found fault with quail. They found fault with Moses. They found fault with Aaron. They found fault with God. They found fault with, I mean, God's doing all these miraculous things for them. They're not having to, they just wake up and there's food right at their doorstep. I mean, that's home delivery. You can't beat it. That's where it started. The original home delivery service. They don't even have to go out of their tent. They just open the flap and reach out and gather what they want to gather in. And yet they found something to gripe about. They, they found something to complain about. I told you I didn't want to go. But that, that is a temptation when we are blessed. It really is. It, it's a temptation to feel like I deserve more. I, I don't, you know, I, I, I really, I, I do. And, and so we find even in a blessed time, and n- none of us are exempt from this, we can find something to gripe about. Blessed people can be some of the most ungrateful, unthankful, complaining People on the face of the earth. And that is an oxymoron. Amen. But it's a temptation. It happened to Israel. It's going to happen to us. There is no temptation. But such as is common to man. So whatever they were tempted with. Whatever they went through back there. You're not going to be going through a different trial, you're going to go through the same kind of trial. When God blesses you, He's going to step back to see how you respond, how your heart is, how your attitude is, where your devotion is, where your focus of worship is. Do you keep your eyes on the right thing? Or do you allow that lower self to show itself? Do you allow that lower side of life to rise up and become dominant? And if we are not careful... We can be the most blessed people on the face of the earth and gripe about something. Amen. Amen. We gripe about the wrong egg being fried. You heard that story, hadn't you? Yeah. Old man, he griped about everything. His wife got up every morning, cooked him breakfast. I mean, she did everything for him, and she thought, well, I'm, I'm going to find out ahead of time because every time I fix, he gripes about it. He, too hot, too cold, too this, too that, too salty, whatever. And so she asked him, said, honey, what would you like it? I want two eggs, one over easy, one over hard. So she's all right. So she got up the next morning. She got in there so careful, perfect over easy egg, perfect over hard egg. She brought it in there. She was so proud of herself. She thought he's going to be happy today. He looked at it. He, huh, you, 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 you got, you fried the wrong egg too hard. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know none of us ever do that, but the truth is that one of the temptations of being blessed is that we can still find something to complain about. And I'm at the top of the list. I'm not, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. We, we, we become 
careless in the blessings that God has given to us. You know what the truth is, church? I don't have anything to gripe about. Now, I'm going to ask you, uh, this is kind of crude, but I, I, I'm asking, how many of you had toothpaste today to brush your teeth with? I met a young man this afternoon who is from Venezuela. He is here on a mercy of mission for his people. In Venezuela right now, he said, it is the worst it has ever been. There are no staple products in the stores. There's none available. They do not even have toothpaste or toilet tissue. And yet they are so fervent in their love for God that the church is growing in the midst of the most terrible trial that you could imagine. None of the comforts of life. And yet the church is growing. Revival is coming into Venezuela. Their people by the hundreds are receiving the Holy Ghost. God doing miraculous things. And yet they have none of the stuff that we take for granted. We may have four tubes of toothpaste in our house. But that what I'm talking about is that with all of those things we have, if we're not careful, we can still find something to mumble about. And you know what? Every once in a while, I need somebody to stop and say, Hey, remember. Hey, remember. Hey, remember. Because God's been too good to me for me to really ever gripe about anything. And I've done a lot of it lately. I'll be honest with you. I gripe about timing and all that. I don't like it any more than anybody else does. But I realized again today that one of the great temptations of being blessed is that you let an ungrateful spirit. Now, I'm not talking about every once in a while you just say something, complain. I'm not talking about I'm talking about a spirit of of complaining. I think we've all griped in life one once or twice at least maybe four or five times but it's not a habit it's not your spirit but there's some people it's their spirit you could give them a billion dollars and they would still come back tomorrow and have something to gripe about because it's just their nature and i cannot let that happen to me i want to be thankful for the little littlest things I want to go home tonight and look in my toiletry area and I want to thank God for my toothbrush and my toothpaste. I want to look in the cupboard and realize there's eggs and, and, and there's milk and there's bread and there's rice and there's the, the, just the basic staples of life. I've got that and more in my house tonight. Stand with me. I'm not trying to beleaguer a point, but. Paul wrapped it all up by saying this. Now, all of these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, anytime you see a wherefore, you need to stop and ask what it's there for. Why did he put that there? Because he wanted to make sure you remember what I just said. Lest he 
seeketh that he standeth. Amen. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed. If you get to thinking, I got this. I got it. He said, you better be careful. Lest he fall. Wherefore, I speak as to wise men. Judge what I say. Revelation chapter 3. John writing under the inspiration, the Lord's talking to the churches. He spoke to the church at Sardis. And I, I had not really paid as close attention as I did when I read that again today. But Revelation chapter 3 to the church at Sardis, he said, Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. You've received and you've heard. And hold fast and repent. Realize what you have been given. The word repent there, what it means. If therefore thou shalt not watch. That phrase right there, I had never paid attention to it. He said, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. If you do Not watch. Now, history says that the Acropolis of Sardis was built on a jutted area of rock. And it was considered impregnable. It was considered unconquerable. And yet when the armies moved in, and I believe it was... uh, Oh, goodness, my mind's blank right now who who the conqueror was that brought his forces in there. But when he brought them in there, he, he, he brought all the soldiers together. And he said, I will give a great reward to anybody that can find a way to get into that city. And so a soldier was watching one day, and one of the sardine Soldiers accidentally dropped his helmet and it went over the wall and tumbled down to the bottom of the crevice. And the man watched him as he climbed over that wall and he found this little footpath and he made it all the way down to the bottom. He got his helmet and he came right back up that same footpath. And that soldier noted it. And that night he brought a band of men and they came up that secreted passageway, they climbed over the wall, and to their surprise, there was nobody on guard duty. And and Jesus is saying to them, if you're not going to watch, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And that's something that terrifies me. It, 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 and I don't mean that in a negative way, but it stirs me. I don't I know my flesh. I know what it's capable of doing. And I don't ever want to get to the place that I am not watchful. Because in an hour that you think not. Amen. God said, if you're not going to watch, 
I'm going to come as a thief. And you will not know the hour that I come. God, help me to be mindful of my blessings and not allow myself to become distracted by them. Amen. And focus on the wrong thing. Reach over and grab somebody by the hand that's near you and let's pray together. Lord, we are extremely blessed tonight. When I think of your goodness and all that you've done for me, us, God, my soul cries out. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. God, I want to thank you for every blessing. And I realize tonight it's been a struggle to deliver the word of the Lord. But I pray that the word will have found a lodging place in the depth of our soul. And God, you will quicken to our mind and quicken to our spirit the remembrance to always be watchful. To always be mindful that our blessings come from you. And that's where we want our attention on you, God. Not on what we've been blessed with. And don't allow us, God, to slip into the thinking that said it's okay if we lower our standard or we, we give in to that lower self. Help us to maintain a vigil, a constant vigil over our soul. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. We've got one that's going to be baptized, two that's going to be baptized. All right. Two of our young people. Amen. They're going to get ready. While they're doing that, why don't you love somebody near you? Amen.